So some people are not allowed to own things. For me, it's my 10 trailer. <laughs> so if, just at the beginning of the summer, I thought this would be awesome if I could just get ahead of things and make sure that my 10 trailer lights and all the electrical and all of the electrical brakes and everything is working ahead of time. So two weeks before we leave, that was my plan. And we live in a townhouse, and of course, in a townhouse, there's no storage, right? So there's about a billion things on top of that tent trailer, and I thought the way to do it is, the best way of doing it, is to back the van up and just plug in the lights, because then I'll know if the lights are working or not working. And you can even press the brakes, and you can hear the electrical brake you know, clicking on and off. So I thought, this is a great plan. I thought this was really good. So I went and I drove my van, backed it up into my opening of my garage, and I plugged my lights in, and everything worked. Everything worked. It was good. Now, this has been a trend for me for the past little while, because even about, just a little bit before this, my 13-year-old Jason actually said, so what's going to go wrong with the 10 trailer this year, Dad? And this year was no exception. So I started, I got it. This was good. It was a good start. I plugged it in. Everything was great. I go to turn off my vehicle and I hear my next door neighbor who just moved in say, hey, howdy, how's it going? And of course, I really get excited about people. And if you know me really well, and you know that especially my neighbors, I love my neighbors. I love getting to know new people. So I thought, this is great. So I walked over to my new neighbor and I walked up to him. And we started talking and it got to the point where he actually asked what I did for a living, which I'm a pastor, if you guys don't know who I am. And I thought, man, this is, this is great. He didn't get weirded out by this. It's great. We, we talked, we talked about the Canucks, we talked about the weather, and at the end of this whole thing, he goes to pull up this handshake. He pulls me in, and not quite holy hug, but he pulls me in. Yeah, those of you who were here last week, you know what I'm talking about. He pulled me in and gave me a hug, which, for a new guy... I loved it. You know, I loved it. I got a chance to like bring, I'm into his life and this is really good. And I'm, and I'm thinking, I'm praying as I go. And as I, we, we stopped, I walked back to my car and I, on my van. I thought, this is great. I got this great new uh, talk, this, this awesome conversation with my new neighbor. I jump into my, my van and I'm just praying. And I'm thinking, this is, this is amazing. I turn on my vehicle and start going forward. And all of a sudden, about 30 centimeters in, I went, oh no, the tent trailer is still attached to my van. At least just the electrical is. <laughs> so I got out slowly, praying and hoping that nothing was wrong. I walk around my vehicle, I come to the back and here is what I saw. And that was my wires. They were all stretched out, looking like spaghetti noodles. And I was thinking, oh no, I've ruined my, my whole camping trip. I thought I was ahead of the game. I thought I could do this, and I didn't do it. So I feel so dumb. So with my tail between my legs going inside, <laughs> I go in to talk to my wife, Christy, and I say, hey, Christy, I feel so dumb. And here's Benjamin, my nine-year-old. He's just reading his book. And he didn't look up at all, but he just was reading his book, and he said, feel dumb or are dumb? 
It's like, seriously, everybody knows how dumb that was. Now, here's the thing. I learned that I'm dumb for the first time. No, that's not the case. I already knew I was dumb. Uh, no, sometimes I think... Sometimes I think we rely a lot. They put a lot of stock on the things we know we can do. We think we've got it all down. We think we can do the best thing. We trust in our own abilities. And in some ways, in other circumstances, we often trust our own abilities above our trust in God. Sometimes our own abilities, I don't know if you feel the same, but for me, I think I let my own ability become an idol in my life. And I actually was pretty proud uh, I was pretty proud that I can do this two weeks out, and yet I still was, I failed. I am incomplete. That's the truth. We try to make things happen on our own. There's a bunch of different ways we can do that, but we still are incomplete, and we're only complete in Jesus. And this requires us to go all the way for Jesus. Now, I've been spending some time in the book of Luke on my own, and I've been preaching out of that over the past few months, all of these, these random ones inserted into 1 Thessalonians. So we're going to go back to Luke. So if you want to turn in your Bible or your Bible app to Luke 18, I'm, you can follow along on the screen if you don't have a Bible with you or if you haven't uh, downloaded the app. But if you uh, just want to follow along and, and listen to the story, this is Jesus talking to this young man. And it's really impacted me over the last little while. So let's, let's read this. This is verse 18 of chapter 18 to 30. A certain ruler asked him, good, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good? Jesus answered. No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not murder. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony. Honor your father and mother. All these I have kept since I was a boy, he said. When Jesus heard this, he said to him, you still lack one thing. Sell everything you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come and follow me. When he heard this, he became very sad because he was very wealthy. Jesus looked at him and said, How hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. Indeed, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. Those who heard this asked, Who then can be saved? Jesus replied with what is impossible with man is possible with God. I love Peter in this. Peter said to him, we have left all that we had to follow you. And Jesus responds, he says, truly I tell you, Jesus said to them, no one who has left home or wife or brothers or sisters or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God will fail to receive many times as much in this age and in the age to come eternal life. So as you can see, there's an amount of the story that we can understand pretty plainly. We see what's going on. But then just like a lot of these stories that Jesus tells, there's some questions that come up. Because this, I don't know if you notice some of these things, but some of these things can be quite, you, you read it and you try to figure out what it means. Is Jesus asking us to give up everything? That's a good question. Because that's what Jesus asked this man to do. What, or another question is, was Jesus saying that he isn't good? I don't know if you caught that. 
Is he saying that he isn't good? And another question could be, was Jesus being sarcastic? Was he just playing this guy? Was he reeling it in and, and pulling him out? What was going on in this story? And I, and I hope that uh, you'll be able to find these answers as we go through this message. Now, this young guy at the beginning looks really, really good, doesn't he? He looks really good. It's kind of it's hard to see how it all of a sudden turns, but it looks good. He, he does everything right. He wants his, these disciples to see it, and he, he asks a really good question. What must I do to inherit eternal life? This is what he asked Jesus, a noble thing to ask. Of course you would want to know that from Jesus. If he's teaching on this, what must I do? But did you catch how he started this? His introduction, the introduction of this man, he says, good teacher. Now, if you dig into the original text of this, this idea of good teacher wasn't even something that was used. This, was, this would have been, the original text would say this was thoughtless flattery, the way he approached Jesus. So this kind of describes the character around this guy. Something's wrong here. This man, we don't know how genuine he is asking this question. So what's the problem? Well, looking at the commands and saying that he's done, he's done everything right, I think he would, you might say that he's a perfectionist. Maybe he's a little confused around what it means to be blameless. I know we heard from Brent last week on that. And if you want to go back, and I've mentioned it twice, if you go back and listen to Brent's message online, I encourage you to do so. He's done everything right. There's no action, no, 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 nothing, no thing that he's ever done that hasn't been flawless, or so he thinks. He thinks he's done everything flawless, but what Jesus exposes here is that even when he's done everything right, there's, he still isn't perfect. Even when he thinks he's done everything to the letter of the law, that he's done everything right, he still isn't perfect. And Jesus shows him this. This young man says, gets to this point where he says, there must be something else that he can do to inherit eternal life. Maybe he intuitively knows that something's wrong. Maybe he thinks something, I'm not sure. Regardless, at a young age, I might add, he gets to this point where he says, is this it? Is this it? Is this all there is to being a follower of God? Is this all I, that I must do? Isn't there something more? Is there something else that I can do, Jesus, to inherit eternal life? And so Jesus helps him reflect on these things, and I love this, because he helps him to, to think this, and he, the man doesn't see it. He doesn't see it completely. He says he's been doing right since he was a little child. And his, his idea of fun is that he's even coming up to Jesus and maybe he's even thinking, huh, I might be the first one to stump Jesus. I'm going to make sure everybody knows so that maybe they can look at me and say, look at you, all stumping Jesus. And maybe that's what he's thinking. But Jesus responds with this really interesting question. Why do you call me good? Okay, so wait. Jesus just asked, why do you call me good? What is Jesus doing here? Is he not good? Is that what Jesus is saying? Is he saying that he's not good? No, he's not what he's saying, actually. He's, he's, he's not denying his goodness. He's not saying, I'm not good. He's trying to create the standard for this guy so that he sees that what he thinks is good isn't actually good. 
The, the goodness that he really is trying to get to is, more, is way more infinitely higher than what he thinks. So Jesus takes the opportunity to say, you think you are way up here in the goodness scale. You think you're way up here when actually you are way, way down here. And he's trying to help him to, decide, to discern what this looks like. And Jesus has a little fun with this by using something really interesting. He uses the commandments against him. You notice this? He says, um, he talks about these, these doing commands. He says, oh yeah, okay, so you know the commands. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You, you, yeah, you know all these things, these doing things. But what Jesus gets to is that these commands that he's getting to, you can possibly do them, but they don't mean everything unless your heart is turned to God. That sure, he knows them up here in his head, but he's not quite getting it in his heart. So Jesus uses the commands against him to help him see how unwise he is, that he didn't have it in his heart, that he wasn't understanding this in his heart. It was done out of duty, religiosity, righteous rule following to the letter of the law. You can say all of those things that he did do, but he didn't approach it with his heart. Why? Well, I think that he built his life on pride. He just built it on self-sufficiency. He built his life on pride. And that pride not only just stayed as pride, but it had become idolatry in his life. It had become an idol. It had become first place in his life. That I can do it. I can do it all. I can look good on the outside. I can do it all. But idolatry is something that has become first place in our lives, which is where God should be. And there's the error. God should be first place in our lives, at least for those of us who followed Jesus. His pride, his self-reliance, his self-dependency, you would even say maybe his self-salvation that he thinks he had became an idol. But by the act of giving away all of his goods, what Jesus told him to do, by the act of getting rid of it all, he would be getting rid of this sin and then, say, and then giving, showing his allegiance to Jesus. Look again at uh, verse 22. He said, you still lack one thing, sell everything you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. He was willing to brag about the things that he had done, yet he wouldn't do everything and anything for Jesus. He wouldn't, not couldn't, give it all away. He wouldn't, not couldn't, give it all away. Even though, even if he did give it away though, even if he just did exactly what Jesus did, the problem still lies that his heart wasn't turned to Jesus. He, didn't, he wouldn't have done it with a, with, with a pure and an honest heart if he just did it without his heart. So I'm going to ask you this question several times throughout this message. Would you go all the way for Jesus? I want you to ponder that. For some of you, it's quite easy it's quite easy. You maybe the timing's right and you've done it recently and, and someone has led you to Jesus and it's been a really amazing ride and you feel like, wow, that was really, really easy. But then at the same time, if your heart isn't turned to Jesus, then it seems impossible. And the, the analogy that Jesus uses is what? The camel through the eye of a needle. Okay, so 
you think that is an exaggeration here. And, and, and digging into this passage, it really, Jesus is really actually saying, uh, using an, a, a camel and a ne- the eye of a needle as his analogy. He's not referring to something else. I think it's important to see that. So if we turn this around into Langley terms and, and kind of get to, into what we're thinking, you think, okay, so it's like as if you took your car and you shoved it, tried to shove it through the, the keyhole of the door of your house. Okay, so ridiculous, right? Or it'd be like as if next Sunday, I expect all my hair to grow back. Like impossible, right? (laughs) Maybe, no, but it definitely was impossible. You think that's ridiculous. Like, what are you talking about? Of course, those people at the time would have looked at a camel and the eye of a needle and thought, this is actually really ridiculous. What is he saying? That's why they responded with, um, who then can be saved? What is going on here, Jesus? We don't quite understand what you're trying to say. But the reason why he uses this analogy is because he uses this because people in their day um, looked at rich people and said, whoa, they are rich. Therefore, they must have riches in heaven. That though God has somehow blessed them so much that they are just wealthy all the time, that somehow that is tied to their spirituality and they are rich in heaven. And that's why this was the problem of the day. And that's why he used this exaggeration. But riches are a risk, right? Some of you that are rich, you may know that riches are a risk. risk. Being rich has its risks. Jesus says it is impossible for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God, but God can do it. He can do it. It's impossible for us, like my full head of hair, but God can do it. (laughs) Maybe not. Still receding, not going back. Salvation is for the rich and the poor. So we're not railing against the rich people here. Salvation is for rich and for poor. It's for everyone. And it is always a miracle of divine grace. It is a gift. Salvation, the eternal eternal kingdom that you can have is a gift. And it's only by the power of God that someone can be saved. It's not by riches. It's not by the fact that you're poor or rich. It doesn't matter. It is only by the power of God that someone can actually be saved. Listen, there's nothing that you can do to earn God's favor and God's love. There's nothing you can do to earn it. There's nothing you can do to lose that favor and that love from God. There's nothing you can do that can wreck that because the key isn't doing. The key is not about doing, and we see this in this passage. As cheesy as it sounds, we are not human doings. We are human beings. That helps you remember this, that we are not doings. We are human beings. And I think there's something, some truth to that and how we need to realize that we are beings and we, we need to be in the grace of God. Would you go all the way for Jesus? A couple weeks ago, I was speaking at an awesome camp called Pleasant, Pleasant View Bible Camp in Lloydminster, Saskatchewan. And in this camp, we, it, was, it was really, really cool. And in the morning of the Tuesday, we had a staff meeting. There, we were talking, one of the, some of the counselors shared about some of the problems they had in the, in the cabin. And one of this, these problems was this boy named Dion. Now, Dion 
was just causing a problem. He's from a group home. They knew that. So they're trying to figure out how do you wrangle this kid in and include him in things going because he just kept on leaving. He kept on disrupting. And so we prayed for him. That night after my talk, I actually explained how, what it means, to, what it looks like to follow Jesus. This is how you do it. This is how you pray to receive God in your life. After the talk, I, had, um, I was walking back to my cabin. So after chapel, and I hear this crunch, 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 really fast behind me along this gravel driveway, this road. And here's Dion. And I thought, oh, this is, a, this is interesting. I wonder what Dion's doing. He's running. And I, he says, wait, wait, Wes, wait. Uh, and I was like, okay. He came closer and he says, I need Jesus. Can you lead me to him? <laughs> I was just shocked and excited at the same time. And I didn't know what to say. So I just thought the, well, the only way to do this is to say, here's a bench over here. Let's go pray. So we walked over to this bench. And, and as we talked through and, and, figured, and I, I got him to repeat after me and, and share about what it means to follow Jesus, he prayed to receive Jesus right then and there. Now, this is the same kid that we were praying for at the beginning of the day. After that, I told him, I said, okay, Dion, you need to go tell your cabin mates and your counselors because they are going to be floored that this happened to you today. Okay, you need to go tell him. So without, as soon as we're done our conversation, he ran, okay? He's a runner. So he just ran as fast as he can into this little thicket of woods and into the darkness and into his cabin. That was the end of that day for me. And I just went away so excited thinking about what just happened. The next day, the two counselors came up to me. Actually, I came up to them and I said, hey, Patrick, so what? I need to tell you, do you know about Dion? He's like, okay, I got to tell you part of the story. So, okay. And he said, hey, so when I, we were looking for, after chapel, we were looking for Dion. We thought, man, this, this is awful. He's gone again. He just ran away. So we, I went looking for him. And as I walked up around the corner outside the chapel, here's this bench with the two of you praying and he's repeating after you. I got so excited. I ran back to the cabin. I told the cabin and my other counselor, we need to pray. So they started praying for Dion. It was so awesome. And then the other counselor walked up as I was talking to Patrick and Levi just said, hey, I just need to tell you. And he started crying. Not only was that amazing, but afterwards, I was really worried about him. And so after he told us about what happened to his life, he was so excited about going all the way for Jesus, he left again. And then I thought, oh no, like what's going on with this kid, this runner? And so he ran out of the cabin again. And so then Levi's turn was to go and, and go find this, this guy. And so he went to go look for Dion. And here he was, sitting beside the director of the camp, telling about his newfound faith in Jesus. And that's what he was doing. He was so, so excited because he understood what he did. He understood that he transferred all of his trust over to Jesus, that it, nothing was going to happen until he did that, that he couldn't be complete until he just offered himself to Jesus. He could not do it. He had to, he could not live his life anymore the way he was living for whatever the history is. We don't know the history. All we know about him is he's from a group home. He might've had a troubled life, but here he is. He just abandoned himself to Jesus. Wow. He knew that the only way forward was to put his complete trust in Jesus. Now, for some of you who have not committed to Jesus, I don't know where you all stand, but some of you are here and you feel like, like maybe this is for me. I, I want to challenge you on this because I really think that today could be the day for you. 
that today could be the day that you surrender your life to Jesus because what you need to hear is from birth, just like I was, and I could tell you my story at some, some other point, that we are made and complete. We are made and complete, and we are made to be complete in Jesus. And the only way to feel that fullness and that wholeness is to be in Jesus. We're going to go back to my tent trailer story. There's more to it. So I phoned a bunch of RV places. I was, I was going around thinking, oh, how am I going to get this thing fixed? Because in less than two weeks, or just less than two weeks, I've got to be packing this thing. And I can't have it somewhere. I could not find an RV place. Of course, it's busy. It's the beginning of the summer. And so we, I, I phoned all these places. I then just decided, you know what? I have to resolve. I can't do this on my own. I looked at this thing. I tried to fix it. I tried to get it all connected. I just couldn't. There's no way. So I phoned my friend and I said, hey, friend, can you come and help me with this? Sure. Yeah, no problem. So he just came over. He fixed it. Said, no, you can't pay me for this. Within just a, an, less than an hour, it was all done. It was all fixed. It was all working. And everything was back to normal again. What I learned was that sometimes there's things that you just can't do on your own. Because we're made incomplete. We are made incomplete. The only way to be whole again, to fix our completeness, is to let Jesus lead us. Jesus makes us complete. We cannot do our life on our own. It is true. The rich young ruler thought he could do things on his own. He thought that he could do everything, but he couldn't. He couldn't be complete. Even our self-sufficiency becomes an idol sometimes. It's true. It can become first place in our lives, even just for a moment or two. And that's what I struggled with. Jesus was sent by God to provide a way for you to be whole again. He died on a cross and rose himself three days later so that anyone who confesses with their mouth and believe in their heart that Jesus paid for their sin and their debt, they will be saved. That they will be free they will be made complete. And if you are brought here by, with some, by someone today, I challenge you to just turn to that person and say, hey, I've never heard this before, or maybe I've heard it before, but I really think that I need Jesus. Can you lead me to him today? Just like Dion. And if you don't have anybody, you just randomly came in here, you're not out of the woods. <laughs> you can come up to the front. I'll just stay at the front and I would love to help you discover what it might look like to start a relationship with Jesus. I would love to help you with that. But for those of us who know Jesus already, there is more take home. There is more that we can learn. There's more that we can think through. We are wealthy in Canada. True, very true. You look at the world, you look at all of the wealth in the world, there's lots of poverty in the world. We are wealthy in Canada. The wealthy find it easy to rely on earthly things. We do, I do. I rely on earthly things. And we find it difficult at times to throw ourselves on the mercy and dependency of God. It's hard sometimes to just say, okay, God, I just need you in this. I just can't do it all my own. Not only are we wealthy with material things in Canada, but we are wealthy intellectually. We are wealthy in our athletic ability, in our intellect. And sometimes we deceive ourselves into thinking that we're, we're morally good, and morally rich because we think we can do it, even though deep down there's things inside of our heart that's not very good. What I'm saying is that none of us should be exempt from this message if we're talking about rich. We're not railing on rich people here. 
You own a house, a car, a cat, a dog, a bank account, you're rich. You have at least a grade nine education. In this world, you are rich. You are rich with a skill or ability, you are rich. And it's a big enough church that I'm pretty sure it's safe to say that somebody in this room needs to think through whether or not there's something in that place that we've elevated something in that place that shouldn't be there. That I can do it. I can pretend it's all good. That's exactly what I feel. I, on the outside, I'm good. But on the inward, sometimes we just struggle and we actually need to reveal that and allow that to come to the surface so that it can be dealt with by God so that God can become first and that thing can be removed from that pedestal. It could be your home that you've put in that spot. It could be your car that you put in your spot. It could be your phone. Goodness, how many hours do we spend on our phones? And maybe we've elevated our phone to the place where it's, got, it's been an idol for us. It could be people's opinion about you. I know that I've struggled with people's opinion about me. And I had to really deal with just the stupidity around worrying what people think of me. The worry, the fact that we all worry about all these things. Sometimes worry just takes so much time and so much effort that it just needs to be taken off. It could be a relationship. It could be sex. It could be your addiction to porn. It could be your money. Or how about this? How about stability and a comfortable life? We hold that so dearly in Canada where it's just everything is the same every day and everything doesn't wave too much. It's just a calm and things are good. And I just really want to have, why is all the chaos happening around me? Why can't it just be calm? And we put too much stock and we put that on a pedestal thinking that that's the way that we need to live. Could you give up important things for Jesus if he asked you to? Could you? Think about it. Could you just give that up? Could you give up, if he just asked you to, just to give up your phone, could you do it? Well, I need to call people. I need to text my mom. I, I need to do all, I need to keep in touch with my friends at school. But could you give it up if he asked you to? What do you need to do to go all the way for Jesus today? What comes with this problem, this is a dichotomy, this, this issue. If we are self-sufficient, then we rely on our own efforts. If we're self-sufficient, we rely on our own efforts and then we're rich in ourself, right? But if we're rich in ourself, you are poor in God and not relying solely on him. But we need the opposite. We need to be rich in God if we want to actually know what it's like to follow Jesus, Will you go all the way for Jesus today? For me, um, I don't know. I'm going to use a prop here. Some of you may know what this looks like, and this is. Some of you that are older, some of you younger, you have no clue what I'm bringing. Maybe, I don't know. It's called a compact disc, okay? I took DC Talk, for those of you who remember DC Talk. Um, so this is a compact disc. For those of you who are younger, you may not realize this, but this was a vehicle for transporting music back in the day. So what people used to do is you used to have these massive, talk to your parents about this, massive cabinets. Some of you still have them. You don't know why you still have your CD players. And you have these cabinets of all these CDs and, and all these things. And then you take your CD and you can put it into your car or you can put it into your Discman or Walkman. Do you remember those? And so this is what um, became an idol for me. When I was younger, I was a... a, a a, uh, a, a DJ for 
high school dances. So I would go into high schools and I would, I would have lots, hundreds of CDs. And one day I was uh, praying and I had this thing in the back of my head where it was like, just give up all of your CDs. And I was like, nope, not going to do that. That's a lot of money. I was a brand new Christian. And then not too long after that, I heard a message from someone and they actually had the same type of message I'm talking about today. And they said, could you give up everything for Jesus? And I thought about this. I thought about CDs and I knew that God was trying to teach me and talk to me through that message to say, I need to get rid of these. These are an idol in my life. I put too much stock in this. Why did I put too much stock in it? Because I had all the current music. You'd laugh at what if I talked about the bands that were cool back then, but, but that was top 40 music. And I actually put a lot of pride in that. And I was known for knowing what was new and what was hip and what was cool and, and all these things. And, and people would come to me and say, hey, what's the next thing? And I'd be like, oh, you should check out this CD. And I would put all of my worth in this thing and it became an idol and it was on in that place. But I got rid of them because I knew that Jesus wanted me to get rid of them because it was an idol. The things of this world are, should be secondary to Jesus. The things of this world, the material things, even though they're just material things, they don't really have a lot of power in themselves. We tend to do this thing where we put them in the way and we put them first. The passage ends with Peter. And I said this, I love this. He says, we have left everything to follow you. And the cool thing is that Jesus tells him, yeah, you did. Truly, I tell you, Jesus said to them, no one who has left home or wife or brothers or sisters or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God will fail to receive many times as much in this age in the age to come eternal life. So Jesus liked this attitude. They did give up everything. They actually gave up everything. They just got up and followed Jesus. But like the disciples did, Jesus must be first if you want to follow him. He must be first if you want to follow him. He is most concerned about your heart. And just like this man in the passage, he's more concerned about his heart than he was his righteous acts. And it's the same for you. Jesus thinks this way about you, that he wants your heart. He wants you to come to him. He wants to abandon yourself to him. Forget about the things you've done or not done. Will you go all the way for Jesus? Now, some of you are like Peter, and you have gone all the way. Or like the, like the camp counselors and the cabin mates that are praying for Dion and the things are going awesome. You have gone all the way for Jesus and I encourage you to keep, keep going. This is awesome. But some of you here are actually sad. You're sad because you haven't been willing to give it up. You haven't been willing to give everything up. Now the story shows that, that there needs to be a responsibility and an utter dependency to lean on God. The rich young ruler was missing something. He thought he did everything, but he didn't do everything. We are helpless without God, but Jesus makes us complete. That bar is set really high, isn't it? It's set really high, and we are not perfect enough to reach it on our own. The only way to do that is through Jesus. The only way that we can reach completeness and to feel good about fulfilling our purpose in God. We may have everything, have done everything right, but it's still not good enough. You may have never said a lie before, yet you're still not good enough. We need Jesus in everything. So will you go all the way for Jesus today?
Is this you today? I want to lead you in a prayer. Maybe you, you're ready at the point to pray and surrender to Jesus for the first time, and I encourage you to do that. For those of you who have lived a long life, if you've lived a one or two or 10 or, or 40, 50, 60 years of being a Christian, and there's things that just have crept onto that pedestal and you need to remove it, maybe this is a time for you today to remove it. Because we can't completely follow Jesus until we've done that. And, and it creeps into all of us. It creeps into my life still. All of us need to get rid of that and make sure that Jesus is first if you want to follow him. So let's pray together. I invite you to pray. Jesus, we know there are things in this life that, we may, that have made us too comfortable and too self-reliant. We need to be depending, depending on you, not earning grace, but receiving it like a gift. There's nothing we can do and nothing we can't do that can change the way you view us. You love us. You love me. And you want us, our heart, our allegiance, our whole selves, every bit of us. We gladly offer them to you now. Show me your ways. Show me the ways in which I have been dis disobedient and lived for myself. Show me your grace. Show me your wisdom. Show me more of yourself and change me. Change me to be more like you and lead me. It is through Jesus' name we pray. Amen.